Ladies and gentlemen, it's 1985 and Roger Moore has been riding high for 14 years as James Bond 007. Does he have what it takes to pull out his seventh film and get rave reviews for it? We'll see. Joining him in this endeavour is the amazing Grace Jones, who's going to hard muscle her way through the entire two and a bit hours of A View to a Kill. And joining me, as always, is the man who loves nothing more to put on a high-cut one-piece and <laughs> jiu-jitsu wrestle with a white-haired biological experiment gone wrong. It's Stuart Late. That's right, Nelly. It's my absolute favourite thing to do. You, you've nailed me in one right there. 14 years in the role, and you can see every single second of those 14 years in Roger Moore's face. <laughs> You, you, it's all up there on the screen. I will grant you his eyes are as blue as ever, and it is oh, they are. somewhat the strange. The twinkle is still there. That's right. Yeah, he's still got this very boyish blue-eyed twinkle, and then it's just quickly don't let him have too many emotions beyond a wry smile because then <laughs> the face creases up. The whole facial area <laughs> might slough off. Like a crevasse in the Siberian wilderness (laughs) where the film starts. But, oh, my gosh, we have a lot to get through with this film. Essentially, the thesis is, is this the worst Bond film? Is it one of the worst? We will find out. I'm going to just do a spoiler now. I don't hate it. Oh, wow. Okay. I kind of came in going, wow, I was really expecting to load this film. And... I didn't hate it as much as I thought I would have. Hey, all right. That's interesting. So we have brought in a guest for this episode, someone who is a defender, apparently, of A View to a Kill. Would you please welcome, he is a local actor and improviser, a steampunk and cosplaying genius. It's Mr. Scott Driscoll. Hello. Hello, Natalie. Hello, Stu. How are you doing? We are well. I just spoke for Stu. Um, You did. Yes, I'm, yeah. I'm doing terribly, but I'm, I'm soldiering on. <laughs> oh, good. Good to hear. So neither one of you have the dreaded COVID, I'm hoping? No, fortunately not. No. Not yet, anyway. Not for lack of trying. <laughs> As we record this podcast, Queensland has just gone on high alert again after some uh, naughty people broke the rules mm. and apparently came back from uh, a Melbourne trip and decided to just wander over town. Um, <laughs> wander all over town. Yeah. Going by the list yeah. of places that they went, but anyway. Um, for, like eight, for like eight days. Yes. Yes, exactly. So they, they didn't self-isolate. They just decided to live it up and now everyone hates them. Yes. So... <laughs> That is going to be an interesting couple of days as we as we progress. But we're not here to talk about the tragedy that is 2020. <laughs> we're here to desperately distract from it. <laughs> yes, of course. I feel we're providing a service, you guys. We're, yeah. we're, help, we're helping people remember when the only, you know, disappointing thing would be a Bond movie in which Roger Moore's stunt double is so clearly not him. Mm. Uh, <laughs> mm, yes. That's the biggest uh, the biggest disappointment. So we want to distract uh, from the horrors of 2020 by hearkening back to the time where the world was <laughs> on the brink of nuclear war. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Those were the days, weren't Those, they? Remember that? Wasn't that good? Oh, at least you <laughs> know. Then, at least the mysterious enemies. Of, of, you know, the communist uh, nations, at least those spies who you never could quite tell, moving in shadows, at least you knew where they were. At least you had a bit of an idea. 
As opposed to a disease that just travels on the wind. Uh, and, and this, this particular film obviously harkens the, 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 the harbinger period where there is both microchips and cassette tapes in the same film. There is a weird mix of technology in this film. There yeah. very much is. And there's a moment when um, Stacey Sutton, who's the main Bond girl. Who, who's that, uh, Natalie? Stacey Sutton. No, I, I don't know who you mean. Who, who was that? Who was that? <laughs> um, she was a slightly bland blonde woman that Bond ended up with. No, nope, I, have, I have no memory of that person whatsoever. You'll have to remind me as we as we go along. I'll have to figure that out. She has a big house that she lives in apparently by herself. I remember the house. The house. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Was there someone in it? She has okay. a pussy cat. There's a pussy cat there. I, I remember mm. the cat. <laughs> Well, the cat is the John Glenn jump scare. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I spotted it. It was great. Memorable, memorable. So, yes, this is this is Roger Moore's last film. I'm not sure if it had been announced that it was his last film, but the reason, as we spoke about with uh, Tom Selinski when we recorded our Octopussy podcast, was that they kind of felt they had to keep him on, given that he had won the Battle of the Bonds box office-wise. <laughs> yeah. So they decided that they had to to get Bond back or Roger Moore back as Bond to show that, no, 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 we've still got it. And then they promptly decided, <laughs> nope, he's done after yeah. this one. <laughs> Let me just give a quick preset to the plot. Essentially, Christopher Walken plays Max Zorin, who turns out to be some sort of German World War II experiment gone wrong. He has been a KGB agent but decided to strike out on his own. He's become a billionaire businessman, horse dealer slash microchip expert it's between he and tony stark as to who has the more sort of cool (laughs) sounding industries company name like zorin industries or stark industries and basically he wants to flood silicon valley so that all the microchips will be controlled by him i think that's the basis of the plot that is surprisingly uh surprisingly brief and cogent uh (laughs) description of of this movie so it's a little bit um lex luther actually from the original superman film Absolutely. I was just thinking that. Yeah, it's definitely okay. he wants to he wants to set off the San Andreas fault and, and create a new a new paradigm. Well, there was to me elements of Goldfinger in the way he had his plan and he had his a whole bunch of other businessmen there. And then when one said, I don't want anything to do with this, he, he dropped him out of his blimp, which clearly nobody noticed. But that's fine. And <laughs> yeah, where did that body land? In the in the sea. In the, in okay. the sea. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> He was dropped out over the water, but nobody picked up on it. But that's fine. Um, so I guess general impressions, um, Scott, as someone who's coming on to defend this film or to yeah, well, well, Scott, to, you, you need to tell, tell us, us about. Like, like, you you yeah. wanted to come on and, and defend I this film. Did. So I mean, what's your what's your uh, take on this? I did, I did. Now, look, as an adult, I've watched this film again very recently. I took some notes, and I've realised since I've been looking at my notes and after watching the film, I think I liked the film clip more than the film. like don't get me wrong don't get me wrong it was still an enjoyable film it was perfectly good but there's so much to this film that is very bland and i think i liked the blandness as a child as an adult i think i needed a little bit more Mm. forgive the pun Ah. we should get your history of bond what was your um so so was this your favorite movie growing up or or favorite bond movie it was my second favorite bond film i think mainly because of the film clip and i would keep like harking back between the film clip and the film and i would remember funny bits in the film clip that made the film better for me my my favorite is 
Moonraker, which Eloise got. And by the way, Eloise, if you are listening, I will get you for that, by the way. <laughs> you got it first. Uh, that's correct. I, I was too late on the, on the trigger for that one. I did, did enjoy this film uh, more as a child than I did as an adult. I think there was less of the fantastical elements to it. And it's also possible I saw this one more than any of the others except maybe Moonraker. Okay. Because uh, I, I grew up in uh, regional Queensland, regional New South Wales, where at that time, prior to the internet, and I'm going to put on my old man voice now, where we only had two channels. One of them was the ABC and the other one was a regional channel that had little bits and pieces from the other channels that were in the capital cities. So we would often have Friday night Bond movies where they would play all of them one after another. And you would watch, you would sit down with your whole family and you would watch a Bond film or whatever the particular version of that Friday night film was. And mm. it, was a, it was an event. So there's the possibility that my brain at the time went, oh, this is an event. This is great. So I've, I've put more emotional weight on this <laughs> film perhaps than it requires. Well, I do want to say that there's something to be said about that because when we do our listing and our ranking of the films, I do always try to judge things as with the degree of how much emotionally did this film mean to me um, as well as how good is it as, as a film. And so that's why I've got some films higher up in my list, even though they're maybe not technically as good as other films, but because they sort of emotionally packed more of a punch. And I think that's valid. I think that if you approach everything completely, it's hard to be completely objective with this kind of thing. If we we go on to do our you know mooted series raven bat where we go through all the batman <laughs> films i suggest that maybe it would be flipped whereas stew might be more emotionally tied to some things and i might be more well that's just ridiculous i, I think you you're definitely right on that yeah. on that, that account <laughs> natalie 100 stew is definitely going to really campaign hard for batman and robin oh totally <laughs> <laughs> bat suit nipples all the way of course having said all that though i think my second favorite uh, James Bond film of all time is The Cannonball Run. What? <laughs> well, Roger Moore plays a uh, man playing Roger Moore playing James Bond in The Cannonball Run in uh, the, the car that you would expect to see him in. He's credited right. as that? Uh, well, that's the character that he plays. He plays a man who has made himself through plastic surgery look like <laughs> Roger Moore, has taken voice lessons to sound like Roger Moore. It, <laughs> Is driving an Aston Martin that has an ejector seat. That's, I've never seen the Cannonball Run. Isn't it just a car chase movie? Or am I getting confused with the mad, mad, it, mad world? No, it's a, it's a, it's a race across America with uh, cars, various celebrities in it. Yes. Well, I would then say if we're doing that, I would say that my next favourite is when Roger Moore played an evil villain in Spice World, the Spice Girls movie. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> he is so good in that. He's just stroking a series of animals. <laughs> He basically and got to play Blofeld, which is... He got yeah. to play Blofeld, and he just, as all these cryptic, you know, Richard E. Grant's character gets a phone call from him, and he'll just say, you know, when the dust settles in the east, the crows must fly home to their master, and Richard E. Grant is just looking at it going, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> it's a genius movie, and one day we should do a podcast on it, Stu, because it's a genius, underrated movie, Spice World movie. We could very well uh, make, make the list. Stu, do we want to do our minute challenge and then I we'll see we what it, that throws up for general discussion? So, as I said, I didn't hate it. So, mm. I, you know, I haven't come away with ill feeling towards A View to a Kill. If anything, I feel more empathetic towards the movie. Like, I feel more, you know, simpatico that not everything that you do in life can be perfect and you will have. <laughs> it, made, it made you, it was a, it was a meditation on, on failure. 
Yes. <laughs> was it maybe the Bond version of a sorbet? I guess so, yeah. A little bit of taste, but it sort of disappears. <laughs> Okay, so I then wrote Roger Moore is quite old, which we have commented on, and I'm sure that will continue to, to come up. Uh, I think that was definitely a something that was brought up in a lot of the critical reviews. I read one somewhere that it said, Roger Moore is not so much long in the tooth as he has tusks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I made a note when I was watching the film that also Money Penny not um, not getting any younger either. Oh, oh yeah, Paul Lois Maxwell. And this is her last film. This is her yeah, last yeah. hurrah. And I am I am actually glad that she gets to go out and do a bit of field work. She's at the races sequence early on in mm, the film, yeah. and she has a little My Fair Lady moment. Did you notice that where she's about she to does, say yeah, you yeah. bloody, and then stops when M looks at her. I'm glad that she had a little outing, and Bond gave her his winning ticket because, of course, he bet on the winning horse. Yeah, yeah. He bet on the winning horse, and he's like, I don't need this. I'll buy you dinner. Gosh, I think one of the things about this movie is that there's so much. There's so many. I don't know if I noticed it more, but like Bond films always have set pieces. But this mm. one just seems to have a lot of set pieces. Yeah. And I don't know if it's the, that they're not cohesive or it's just it's so much, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, I mean, like, Bond films often have, you know, they're wide-ranging, like, like they're globe-spanning. So they'll go to different countries. They'll have uh, very different set pieces. But I, I guess what holds it together is the plot. And um, in this movie, <laughs> that plot isn't really doing much connecting. Yeah. Uh, so, so you have the Eiffel Tower fight. You mm. have... Like, like there's all the stuff with uh, the horse racing and, and the horse yes. stud. And then you have, like, a fight on a, a fire engine. Yes. And there's lots a, of well, there's a city, there's cop a, stuff. Yeah, there's, like, a city hall thing. And then yeah, there's, there's a fire whole engine. thing with city hall. Yeah. And then it all culminates in a in Oh, a no, there's a whole, fight. there's a whole, there's a whole oh, on a, the on mine. A wharf, I haven't even on mentioned a wharf. the mine. There's a wharf first. Yeah. And then a mine. Does it feel to you maybe like they had a whole bunch of little bits of scripts left over, they just sort of shuffled into a pile? Well, this is very much, to give the background, it is a story, a short story called From a View to a Kill, which is basically about James Bond becoming a bicycle messenger in Paris. Um <laughs> <laughs> to see if he can catch an assassin who is gunning down bicycle messages. they dispatch officers who are, I think they're motorbikes, but it just sounded funny. <laughs> just imagining James Bond in Lycra. And the yeah, yeah. Had yeah. Lycra pants. With a rid- bum bag. Well, he's yeah. done the ski suit before. Well, we'll get to the ski suit. <laughs> so the, the short story is just Bond has to see if he can track down an assassin who is bumping off the people taking, you know, important spy dispatches from one side of Paris to the other or something like that. He then finds the assassin, kills him, and then finds the base of operations. And that's all it is. It's literally a three-line three summary in on Wikipedia. So the story has been completely made up, and it is Richard Maybaum, longtime Bond screenwriter, again with Michael G. Wilson, uh, Albert R. Broccoli's stepson. And I think this is the first one he's co-credited as a producer as well for the first time. So he's right, okay. executive producer or some other kind of, you know, top dog, but now he's up there with Albert Broccoli. And I think this might've been because Broccoli was starting to get a bit crook, like as I suppose he's, he's older and maybe less able to manage things. So brings on his stepson to keep things cranking along and history will decide if that was a good <laughs> That's not fair. He's still in charge. He and Barbara Broccoli are still in charge to this day. So you know, must be doing something right. Uh, I wrote, OMG, is Christopher Walken just parodying himself already? 
or is that just me putting my or is this is this what creates the the, the exactly. walking parody like, like what's exactly. what's going on is it a chicken or egg situation because he's, he's very walking in this he is so walking and he's so bad at killing bond like his character <laughs> Max very bad. and some of his deaths aren't even that elaborate it's not like they're even put into crazy elaborate you know blofeld style escape hatches or whatever he's, yeah. he's he's just like oh we'll push him in a car into the again you could just shoot him but no we've got yeah. to push his car into the water and then bond is able to suck on the air from a tire does that even happen like would that even yes it would definitely work oh okay well that's good that's something yeah yeah what wouldn't work is that bond is just looking up out of the water with his eyes fully open in a pond <laughs> yeah and he can see their silhouettes i'm like you would not be able to see them but anyway, and yes, at the wharf, and at the, he's just really, really bad at killing Bond. <laughs> I wrote that uh, Grace Jones for me is the MVP. She's, she's so good. she's so watchable. She's not. I wouldn't say she's as charismatic as like Barbara Carrera in Never Say Never Again. No. I think Barbara mm. Carrera brings a real crazy, you know. And I was listening back as I was editing that podcast, Stu. And I was going, Stu is really keen. Like it took me listening back to go. He every time I mentioned. <laughs> He's like, she's great. She's great. She is like great. Performance. She's great. She's she fantastic. Great. Yeah. Yeah. She's having the time of her life. Yes. And, and I, I, I am there for it. It's fantastic. And I don't know if it's whether, you know, the Mayday character, which is a great name, but whether mm. she's – she doesn't really have a backstory. So maybe – This is what I want to – maybe we can talk about it now. Like, like in terms of, like, what's her deal? <laughs> because they don't – really say and she's very obviously quite strong yeah so has she been dosing as well has he been giving her like the weird horse steroids that he he doses himself with she's been on the horse she's been on the horse (laughs) there could be some missing scenes there where it's explained that's right yes it is this movie was long enough (laughs) it was long it was actually very long i noticed that too i think it's even a bit longer than thunderball so that's saying no, something. No, 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 no. I'm just looking at my notes here, and I think you'll find that like Thunderball is actually there, there's a quite a big gap. It's easy to miss, but Thunderball is exactly ten days long. Um, it's it's very strange. It was uh, eleven days last week. Was it? Yeah. No, no, no. I've got I've got written here ten. It might be Are eleven. You, I'll have to go you, and check. Do you, I think you're not counting in the weekend there? No, that's true. Yeah, I possibly am not. I, it's, oh, it's, it's ten business it's, days. It's eleven work days long. Yeah. With with a, with a weekend off. Um, yeah, that's that's definitely how it goes. I actually had a moment where I paused. I think it was when they've left the stud and they're flying over San Francisco and looking at it. And Grace Jones says, "What a view!" And he says, "To a kill." And they kind of give each other yeah. smoochy eyes. And I thought, <sighs> "Is this movie coming to an end already?" And then I clicked it, and it was only an hour in. And I was like, what else has they got to do? What else have they? Also, like, I, I guess some, it's one of the only Bond films that where they say the, the title on screen. Like, Goldfinger yeah. is the name of a wow. character. It's just very strange. Like, I, like anyway. Yeah, I guess they say it as like a shoehorned in, you know, hey, hey, as opposed to Quite just being few. the title of the villain or the title, like in Moonraker, Moonraker's case, it's the title of the Moonraker. <laughs> Yeah, whereas this one, they, they have to come up with some reason for this weird truncated title they've used. <laughs> 
And you know there was a meeting about that too, right? Someone someone had to decide to put it there. Yeah, and, and someone 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 has decided to take to take the from off the start of the the title. Like I don't know why. Yeah. That, that makes it less understandable. I don't understand why they've done that. Maybe it doesn't fit across the I, poster properly with the from on it. Yeah, maybe. I thought it was more because it sort of works better if you if you think of the lyrics of the song, which I'm just going to now bring up. It says meeting you with a view to a kill. So it's like when you say. Uh, I want to inspect this house with a view to purchasing it. Mm. So maybe that's why they chose it rather than from a view. Because from a view to a kill doesn't make that much sense. No. Do they mean like from a view, like you spot the person to a kill, you kill the person? Who knows what Ian Fleming was thinking? The guy was clearly smoking (laughs) too much, you know, specially made handcrafted cigarettes by the end there. (laughs) Back to my list. I remember the Eiffel Tower scene with the butterflies and the stinging Mm butterflies or something that was a very quick poison it was a very quick poison he gets slammed in the face by a butterfly and then falls down dead in his soup mr aubergine (laughs) the character's name is mr aubergine is that meant to be a poirot riff or something or i don't know because he had a strange kind of delivery as well um mr aubergine i'm going to just see if there is anything about him Uh, jean rougerie as french private detective achille aubergine yeah. It must be. Yeah. yeah that definitely. It's Her- Hercule Poirot, isn't it? Mm, yeah. And he's a French detective. Yeah. It must he's Belgian. He's Belgian. But Yes. Okay. Poirot. It's a French, it's a metonymic occupational name for a grower or seller of pears. There we go. Yeah. 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 We worked it out. A bit of detective work. Ironically, a bit of detective work. So, yes, we got it in one, Stu. Well done. Or Scott, whoever said that. I was Stu. Stu, you're a genius. But, yes, I wondered why he had this over-the-top, like, oh, it's a mystery. He he did seem to be hammy, like more hammy than noticeably hammy. Uh, compared to Roger Moore. I just like the fact that he goes to meet the French detective. He's a spy, as opposed to meeting in a quiet little cafe down some Parisian back alley in Montmartre or something. No, 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 let's go to the restaurant at the top of the Eiffel Tower (laughs) in a very public place. But, of course. Where Grace Jones can kind of spirit in like a Dementor and just land the butterfly on his face. (laughs) She must be really good at fly fishing. Yes. Well, Bond makes that joke later to uh, Max Zorin at the horse stud. Oh, he does too. He says, uh, oh, you're a sportsman like me. How are you with fishing, fly fishing? And then, Mac- and, and then Chris Walken goes, I'm neglecting my other guests. Enjoy your stay. <laughs> I can't do his accent. <laughs> I'm neglecting my other guests. Natalie, that, that sounded like Dracula. Is what that sounded like. You, you were doing a dragon. I'm neglecting my other guests. I must go see to their requirements for liquid. <laughs> <laughs> That's just the count from <laughs> One yeah. beautiful woman who seduces Bond. Two beautiful women. <laughs> because that is something else that I wrote down on my list. There are so many women in this film yes. that sleep with Bond specifically. Like there's always a lot, but specifically that sleep with Bond, because Max Zorin seems to have a (sighs) fighting squad of these very effective women of different nationalities. Ethnically diverse is the note that I've put in. That's the right. Ethnically diverse fighting female squad. They all sort of encounter Bond in various ways. I'm surprised more of them didn't sleep with him. But he has sex with four 
women in this film, at least. Well, okay, so the, so he had sex with Mayday. He had uh, sex with the one that you can't remember the name of, <laughs> Stacey. <laughs> he had sex with the spy, the random Russian KGB spy who turns yes, up. Yes, who I, I, I was reading up a little bit before the, this episode apparently was supposed to be our friend Triple X. Yes. Uh, which but, would have been great. Or would, would have, it have been? Well, <laughs> probably made the right choice but then they decided instead of just cutting that storyline they decided no no no, we'll go with it and we'll just invent a new former russian hot spy that we can have bond you just don't care about her because you don't know anything she she comes she sleeps with bond she leaves again it's she leaves and he's he's you know tricked her with the tape and they just have a really (laughs) they have a sexy bubble bath so that's three conquests in this in this movie what's the the fourth one the one in the pre-credit sequence yeah with the very low cut snow gear oh yeah that's right. And that he um, bumps their iceberg submarine, <laughs> <or> iceberg <laughs> boat, which is fitted out with a very cosy, intimate couch area. As sunken lounge. To, yeah, sunken, a literal sunken lounge. That can't be standard, surely. No. In, well, in this, those submarines. Yes, you would, you would imagine it would be a cramped, you know, those submarines they send down to the Titanic to take research footage or something. They show, they had one in um, Fiore's only. It would be like that. It would be yeah, a exactly. time, it would be this plush. You, you and, just imagine him going to Q. He's like, Q, I need you. I've got some uh, design specifications. Well, it did kind of look like the head of a crocodile, weirdly enough, as it kind That's of. That's true. Yeah. He's re- repeating himself. So maybe he just upscaled the head of the crocodile from Octopussy <laughs> and threw in a sunken lounge. <laughs> Vodka beluga. <laughs> and then he just pulls down a zip and she's like, Commander Bond. He's like, oh, it's five. What is it? Five days to Alaska. Yeah. <laughs> oh no no magnetic watch gag for the zip on that either no just straight pulling it down you know just showing that he hasn't gotten frostbite in the snow <laughs> um, that sequence can i make the note california girls yeah oh god i, I you know i had forgotten that until you mentioned it i, was I like... have no recollection when that cranked up because i was watching go i had no recollection of that pre-credit sequence at all yeah. I, I was as I was switching it on. I went, "What happens with this one?" I do not recall. To be fair, there's a lot of this movie that I do not recall. But that whole sequence totally flew over my head, and then all of a sudden, is it the Beach Boys or is it? The song is the Beach Boys, but it's not the Beach Boys version. It's no. some it's some sound alike. It's a sound alike, but because James Bond invents snowboarding or something. Yeah, 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 maybe. <laughs> I guess maybe in 1985, that's when snowboarding kind of cracked well, the Well, it was, and that, that's why it's in there. It's one of those things that was just sort of starting to become popular, and so they threw it in the movie. He does use a, a snowboard, but before that, he's skiing on one ski. Yes. Yeah. He would have had to have multiple stuntmen do that scene. He would have had to have the expert skier and then the expert snowboarder. Sure. Don't, don't forget the snowmobile, which is on for less than 30 seconds. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> just completely pointless. But having said that, that there were, there are some snow stunts in, and skiing stunts in that opening section that are genuinely impressive yeah like there's one where they go he he basically just cliff dives at one stage yes like just off a cliff and and like lands and i'm like that was a long way i'm very impressed like because they would have really done it yeah that's the point of it you know and then they ruin it they utterly ruin it by putting this this weird beach boys needle drop over the top of it it just completely deflates the whole thing i wonder if it was funny at the time i mean judging by the reviews not not really 
when it happened, because I had no recollection, I just did burst out laughing going, you didn't just do that. Like, yeah. I was like literally having this, you know, like a dog had stolen something from you. Like you did not just pick that up, put it down. <laughs> well, because- I was impressed by some of those stunts and I was I was thinking this is actually getting quite tense like you know this is uh I don't know why they don't talk about this oh there we go yep that's why yep absolutely (laughs) but also it never explained why agent 003 was packed in ice in the frozen Siberian tundra is it I think he recovered he'd recovered that microchip which was an exact replica of the microchips from Zoran again I'm still a bit confused. <laughs> so he had recovered it and then had been killed and Bond had had to go after him or were they on the mission together initially? Like he was he was I think it was it felt like a recovery mission. It felt like 003 had failed and they'd sent yes. in 007 yeah. to clean up. That's what I got from it as well. Okay. All right. So they needed a microchip that was exactly the same as somebody else's microchip. So they had to go to Siberia to do that. Well, no, I think I think that the point was the Russians shouldn't have been able to make those, but they were and they didn't know how they'd gotten like the specifications for them. Right. Okay. There's a lot of microchip talk. <laughs> sure is. Well, well, this is a movie that's about horse racing until it becomes about microchips. <laughs> uh, and, then, and then it's about double earthquakes. Yeah, then it's about suddenly it's about <laughs> earthquakes and blimps. <laughs> Geology lesson. So, yes, I'm uh, Eiffel Tower oh, and James Bond jumping on the boat. I think that's one of the things I remember most from this film where he's chasing Mayday and he jumps on the boat after her and then yeah. she jumps into a speedboat and he's he lands on the wedding cake and then goes, congratulations. <laughs> and a group yes. of cartoonish French chefs with meat cleavers come, yes. come running. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you'll notice he gets absolutely no icing on his suit. Yeah. I did notice that he gets up and he's totally clean. Which I can I mention too, Stacey Sutton at the end, she Who? gets uh, <laughs> the girl, the blonde, the one that owns the house, the oh, one that owns uh, the house with the cat. Okay, I'll take your word for it. With the very, very um, deliberately placed food bowl that says "pussy." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was that. Look, I'll, I'll take what I can get. That that was great. <laughs> <laughs> So when they get to the mines at the end and they sneak into some uniforms and Bond puts on a – Bond had been wearing for a fair part of the film like a leather jacket, which actually looked kind of cool and kind yeah. of age-appropriate. In like a very it, 1985 way. Like, yes. like he was very very uh, Charles Bronson sort of – Yes. It yeah. didn't make him look like he's old and trying to be young, but it didn't also make him look like a granddad. It, yes. I thought it was a great fashion choice that they put – and then when he's wearing the tuxes and stuff, that's classic Roger Moore, so that's fine. But then they go in and, and get into these suits, and, of course, again, he's wearing like a zip-up – polyester jacket with a cat it's like oh roger <laughs> but then she gets into a an overalls which just happened to be incredibly form-fitting yeah. yes hourglass shape and still wearing her heels and i will have you know that she is still wearing those heels when she is hanging off the golden gate bridge <laughs> at the end of the film with the shoes still on now i can tell you i am a clumsy woman of course so i don't wear heels that often but it is very difficult to do a lot of active physical work that she was doing and and have your heels not drop off at some point. She was swimming <laughs> in water at one point, wasn't she? Yeah. Yes, was she, she was. Caught- there is actually a goof in the film around that where there's a couple of shots of her wearing one shoe and then later on she's wearing both again. I thought I noticed that. Okay, yeah. I'm not going crazy. But then when she puts on the overalls, she does not appear to be wearing anything else underneath it. No. But when she's 
when she's being chased in the mine shaft by Mayday and she pulls, starts to pull her overalls off and so she kind of unzips them, lets them go, and she's still wearing her dress, her white dress. Yeah. Which is then, by the time she's on the blimp, is still completely dirt free. Well, I think we have to. I think we have to accept in this particular universe, a woman can wear a form-fitting overall with a full ball gown underneath it, perfectly <laughs> wrinkle-free, just the same way a man can wear a scuba suit with a tuxedo underneath it yes. that remains yes. dry. That's very true. <laughs> That's fair. That is fair. But I just, I was looking at it going, how can it be so white, so pristine? So clean. Yeah. Anyway, blimp, I mentioned. Mm-hmm. That was fun. It was like a portable blimp that packed down into the top of the, of the, 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 the what do you call it? Like the bridge? Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, technically they all do that when you transport them. Oh, okay. Oh, that makes sense then. It yeah. just, it just make it seem like a really big moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. It sort of bursts out of this little donger that it's in. <laughs> For our American listeners, uh, a donger is not what you think it is. Oh, do they not have dongers in America? Well, they wouldn't I be mean, calling them dongers. Oh. <laughs> Why do we call them dongers? I have always thought that was very strange. I think it's a, I think it's a brand thing, like Xerox or Hoover. Oh. I think it okay. might be a brand thing. That, I, look, by all means, walk of shame me. I had never heard the term. I would have just called them like a, a portable shed or something like that. Well, when I was a kid, they were called demountables. Demountable, yes, demountables, at school. Yeah. yeah, you would have the demountable classrooms because nobody had yeah. enough money for real classrooms, so they'd just set up some portable ones and leave them there for 15 years until the new building could be built. <laughs> oh, the 80s. So, yes, demountable is what I would call them. But when I went to Woodford some years ago and was doing like a cool quiz show thing there and somebody was saying, oh, he'll be over in his donger. And I would be like, I'm sorry, I don't – oh, they sleep in their dongers. I'm, I beg your pardon? I don't. And then it had to be explained to me what a donger was. It's not a penis. Oh, um, I've done a little <laughs> bit of a Google. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically associated with a temporary or demountable housing, a donger has endured in local slang for about a century. One of the most prevalent theories is that the word's origins go back centuries to Africa, where the Zulu and Zosa word udonga made it into South African English and Afrikaans. Okay, so I was just being racist. All right, I'm very sorry. I did not appreciate the entomology of the word. Um, I thought it was a penis reference. Um, I'm very sorry. Um, I apologise to my friend's family and the club for letting them down at this point. And I hope to never do this again, but inevitably I will because I'm me. Um, all right, so dong as a side, um, everyone it's now Raven Donger. It's a very different podcast. I wanted to say that I felt like about 30% of this film was James Bond lifting Stacey Sutton out of various locations. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of, like, pulling her up out of a mine shaft, pulling her up out of an elevator, pulling her out of lots of places. She's, she's uniquely useless as far as, as far as characters go. <laughs> she is a fully trained geologist and the head of an oil company, Stu. <laughs> Can I just she say? Is, she is not can... like Nicole Kidman as the sexy brain surgeon in the Days of Thunder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or um, Christmas Jones. In, oh, yes. Uh, yeah. it's, it's a little bit Christmas A nuclear Jones. physicist. Yes. My favourite version of that, Nat, though, is when he's pulling her out of the, the uh, elevator shaft to avoid a fire, he actually uses a fire hose that he could have just used to put the fire out. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Maybe Max 
Zorin and Mayday had disabled the fire hoses in their elaborate oh, scheme. Of course. Oh, that makes more sense. Yes. <laughs> they had to have a very elaborate. They couldn't, they couldn't shoot. They shot death her boss, like the mayor or whatever he was. They shot him straight away. But no, no, no. We need to have a plausible, strange excuse for why you're in a flaming elevator crash. <laughs> I mentioned the so many credits. I mentioned the iceberg uh, submarine thing. I mentioned the ski pre-credits. Uh, Grace Jones saves the day. Mm-hmm. She really does. Bond would have been screwed had she not been there. Yeah, yeah. She single-handedly is able to lift the bomb up with her incredible strength. And then she has like a um, Dr. Strangelove style, screw you, where she rides the bomb <laughs> out of the mine to victory yeah. and blows herself up for James Bond. She goes out like a champ. Do, do we do we buy the, the sudden like face turn on this one? Or? I think so. I, yeah. I bought it enough because he, he leaves her to go drown, essentially. He doesn't care. I kind of like the fact that she went, Motherfucker, you know she she didn't <laughs> she had no girlish ingenuish, but he didn't. She just knew exactly he turned on her, and she knows him too well. Yeah. But their relationship was kind of weird. That was something that interested me. Like it seemed kind of equal in terms of they both had a mutual respect for each other's. And but then when when they were judo chopping each other, she was training him. <laughs> I got the sense that she was training him. So he's in like a full gi outfit and she is in the very tight. She's, she's in one of the most ludicrous yeah. costumes I've ever seen. I, I don't want to. So be her seen. entire ass is hanging out of that thing. Her, her entire ass is on display. And look, it's a good ass. It is muscular as fuck. But she rolls over at one point and, I'm, and that high cut front bottom, I'm pretty sure I saw more than I was supposed to. Now I'll have to go back. And jog, <laughs> Especially these high def transfers. That's right. I'll have to go back and jog shuttle through the scene. <laughs> was it a fight, or was it fight training, or was it foreplay? Again, Scott. I mean, it can't be both. But what was yeah, weird? True. What was weird is that when he pinned her down, she had this real kind of look of disgust on her face, yeah. and then he he started kissing her in this really skeezy way. He was like doing an open mouth. You know when Kath and Kel on Kath and Kim kiss? They do this oh, yeah. open mouth sort of face suck. It was like that. It was very Also, strange. she was trying to bite him. Yes. I wanted to mention his other henchman, because he has a bunch, Scar Pine. Yes. He's like his associate who was the one, you know, chatting Bond up at the horse auction and that sort of thing. And I was listening to him going, I know that voice. Who is this guy? I know that voice. That's Patrick Barchow. Patrick Barchow, who's an Austrian actor. But I was trying to place him. I was like, where do I know him from? Where do I know him from? Now, did either of you two watch the late 90s? Vampire uh, the Masquerade? The Embraced? Kindred the Embraced. I'm sorry, what? No? No? Okay. He played a vampire king in a TV series, very short-run TV series in the 1990s called Kindred the Embraced. Yes. Was it based on Vampire the Masquerade? It was based on Vampire the Masquerade. Oh, man. Gosh. Sorry, where were you going with that one, Nat? I was going with the late 1990s, I think it was a CBS thriller show called The Pretender. Oh, yes, The Pretender. Does anyone remember The Pretender? Yeah, I remember The Pretender. Oh, I I have no memory of The Pretender. What, What was that? Okay, that is really weird. For some reason, it was one of those shows that I just saw a lot back in the day. It was about a guy called Jared Mm -hmm. who had been kidnapped as a kid, taken away as a kid because he was incredibly intelligent. Yes. So there was some secret – oh, it's NBC – 
some secret kind of organization called the center and they would take these very clever children and then turn them into pretenders. So they were so smart that they could immediately learn new skills, learn, and they could impersonate anybody. So I think they were kind of, the idea was that they would be spies or something like that. But he is so clever that he escaped and he goes on the run and he decides to work for good. So he would find problems. You know, he would just look up in the paper and go, hmm, interesting, or meet people in the street. Or it was, you know, it was kind of a monster of the week, but problem of the week type show. And he would then go, oh, there's a problem at this hospital. I know I'll go disguise myself as a doctor. And he'd have impeccable records. And then he would be able to do surgery and all that kind of stuff because he's a pretender. So Patrick Bachow was his mentor when he was at the centre. Sydney, I think his name was. Sydney, that's right. And he would, they would just have phone calls where he, because they kept trying to chase him. That was the overarching storyline is they kept trying to chase him and bring him back into the centre. And they would have these long conversations talking about, I guess, right and wrong and philosophy and things like that. And that voice is what stuck in my head. So, yeah, that was something that probably wasn't as exciting as I thought when I... (laughs) When I put together who he was, I went, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this up and everyone will remember the pretender. Well, that, I remember it, okay? So uh, thank I, you. Yeah. It was September 96 to May 2000. God, that's, yeah, no, that's right. That, that checks out. <laughs> <laughs> I was just realising, no, Natalie, you're very old now. Um, you know, just on that subject, like someone said 15 years ago to me today and I realised that meant 2005. Yeah, yeah it's not right. That's not, right. not cool at all. It's not cool. When did I meet you, Stu? 2007? 2007, I think, yeah. Yeah, you started work at the radio station. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so I've known yeah, 13, you 13, 13 years. It's not right. <laughs> no. It's not right. Um, you've only known me nine, so does that feel, does that feel any better? I thought it was 2010 that I met you. No, uh, 2011. Is it 2011? Goodness me. No, hang on. <laughs> you might be right because I did come to see some impro shows before I took the courses. So, yes. yeah, 10 years. Wow, okay, double figures. Into double figures. That's yeah. crazy. Well, anyway, let's stop the navel gazing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's 2020. I feel like in this crazy year of 2020, we are entitled to go, yeah, no, I'm just not going to put up with that. I'm not going to put up with it being <laughs> 10 years since this. It's been 10 years since One Direction formed, I mm. saw somewhere the other day. I went, hang on a second. But, yeah, 10 years that they formed. The chick who plays Sansa Stark just had a baby. Yes, no. she did. She's 24. Uh, Joe Jonas. To Joe Jonas from <sighs> the Jonas guys. So she was 13 10 years ago, 13, 14, when Game of Thrones was first being filmed in 2010. Mm. And so there you go. It's like 23, 24 years old. Yeah. Which is yeah. totally and reasonable and also yeah. completely unacceptable. Yeah. 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 Completely unacceptable. Thank you for going with me on that. Like, <laughs> no, you are Sansa Stark. You're about 14. Stop it. <laughs> I want to end by saying that what I will give this film is an absolute banger of a theme song. Yes. It is genius. And the opening credits with Maurice Binder's magical naked women you know, stylings, is really good. It's kind of different. It's got neon. It sort of switches between the hot and cold. He's got neon fingernail paint and neon ribbons, and there's a woman skiing totally naked, just covered in neon ribbons. It's very (laughs) hypnotic. It actually feels like something quite different from the last few movies. And I will say it's the first male-sung Bond song since Live and Let Die. 
So there haven't been that many men singing Bond songs, certainly in the Roger Moore era. So, and it's rock and rolly and kind of funky, and as opposed to you know, is an all time high. <laughs> oh God, let's just kill ourselves. And the film clip was a banger. Like it was spectacular. I, I have was, to go rewatch it. I think there was more gadgets in the film clip than there was in the film. Oh really? <laughs> Yeah, there's not a lot of gadgets. Although, no, wait, he does have gadgets, mm. and then they're never really used. Like, he has a ring that takes photographs. Well, he does use that. Like, it gets used in the film, yes. and then there's a plot point with a, a photo from it. Is there? Yeah. Oh. So he does He does use the spy ring. I, I specifically went through, and because my thought was there's more gadgets in the film clip than there was in the film. So I specifically looked out for gadgets. So mm. we had the bug detecting bug detector, which is standard spy craft. It, it was a razor, though, wasn't it? It was like a shaver. Yeah, it looked like yeah. a shaver. Yeah. There were spy glasses. So he oh, could. yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, those really weird, very obvious. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> And he only wore them in one scene, and he looked like 15 years older. Yeah, yeah, they were big, thick rims. There's the checkbook copier. It made him look like Grandma Yetta from The Nanny. Or the guy from Up. Yes. (laughs) Uh, The checkbook copier. Oh, Uh, yes. Hans Glau had a weird science-based monocle thing. I'm sorry, who's Hans Hans Glau? The henchman. The old crazy scientist man. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry. You need to refer to him as the old crazy German scientist. Okay, so old crazy German (laughs) scientist. So science henchman. Science (laughs) henchman had the, the monocle. Then there's a big section of the film with no gadgets. Then there's the credit card window opener. Oh, um, yes. Which just looked like a credit card with some LEDs strapped to it. <laughs> uh, there's the, the rock salt shotgun. I don't know if we're counting that as a gadget. Yeah, what? Why? Was what? Well, that, that's, a, that's a thing, though. Like, like you, you fill yeah. a shotgun with rock salt just to... to... Sk- Scare birds off and stuff. Scare birds away, yeah, oh. exactly. Um, and then there's no more gadgets until that weird Chekhov's robot comes back at the end and spies on Bond in the shower. Was it Chekhov's <laughs> robot or yeah, was, it, it, was it K-9 from Dr. <laughs> <laughs> that was very strange. Yes. And I love the way they say, no, he's uh, he's still missing. He's still missing. No, he's just at her house. Like that's not yeah. missing. Yeah, that's not missing. They know exactly where he is. And how did the how did the robot get up the stairs to the bathroom? Uh, uh, the Dalek problem. Yeah. <laughs> Maritivium. Yes. <laughs> and it had eyes that like expanded, like they were surprised. Yeah. <laughs> they get they anthropomorphized the robot. Yeah, that was that's so funny. It's like we need to introduce this in the very first scene of the film after the credits, so we can bring it back in the very last scene. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. They do, don't they? Yeah. Of Q going now. If you read your Q. memos, 007, you would know this is a prototype. <laughs> <laughs> just like, you just wonder if there was accountants ever coming in and looking at Q branch, going, "I'm sorry, you're creating automatic." <laughs> dogs now what do you think you're hasbro this is not a toy shop man (laughs) and everyone else is like shh q is getting on a bit we just we need to indulge his little whims just let him play with his little robot dogs and then he'll keep inventing the you know the the watches with exploding lasers and shit (laughs) and bra removing watch bands (laughs) There is so much else I want to talk about this film, but I'll leave my list there. Every time we keep speaking, something else just pops into my brain. I was like, oh, my God, that's right, the horses and the car and poor old Patrick (laughs) McNee. So, Stu, let's go to your list, and I'm sure we can conquer some of those items. 
Yes, exactly. Well, I think there's, there's a lot of double up between our lists, I think. So my, my first entry was Roger Moore looks tired. Uh, <laughs> he does. He looks very tired. Oh, doesn't he look tired? Yeah. Mm. He's, he looks done. And he looks like he probably shouldn't have come back for this one. And as you said, he kind of had to. He was kind of strong-armed into, into doing it. I'm sure the paycheck was nice, but oh, wow. But but having said that, like, was there was there alternate casting on this one? Like, was 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 Timothy Dalton waiting in the wings by this point, or I can't see anything in the Wikipedia page, which generally do uh, you know have historically talked about who was going to come in or who was going to be this, and there's no yeah. real discussion about in casting. What they do say in casting is about Barbara Bach. They do mention that David Bowie was supposed to play Zorin. He was announced as the villain and then decided against it, saying, I didn't want to spend five months watching my stunt double fall off cliffs. (laughs) And then they offered the role to take a punt on a popular at the time British pop star who's still around today. Boy George. No. (laughs) That would have been amazing. I think this film would be completely different. They could have called it. Karma Bond or something. Karma. Mm. That that joke did not work out. How I. Very... As usual, kill millions. Ah, Scott's where it's at. Scott is where it's at. Oh, sidebar. That whole fire truck chase through San Francisco, which I'm sure is supposed to be some kind of homage to something. Somebody said earlier it was like Keystone Cops. Mm. And they open the bridge, and then yeah. the fire truck jumps the bridge. Yeah, the bridge jumps scene. And I was like, oh, my God, that's like that whole bit in Speed, the movie, where the bus jumps it's, the gap on the freeway. That <gasps> particular trope has been done a number of times. Yeah, I know. I know. They do it in Spice World, the movie, too, and then they do <laughs> They're like, how are we going to afford that stunt? And then they ha- literally have a little cartoon <laughs> bus going over a cartoon bridge. Very clever. That cop stuff is just there to pad out the time. Like, like it, it, it means nothing. Why? And why yeah, is like, it like, padded out? Exactly, exactly. Like, it's, I don't understand why that whole section is in the film. It, it does nothing. Yeah. Like, like, they go from the burning city hall to the mine area. Yes. And that entire 15-minute chunk could just be taken out of the movie yep. with no consequences whatsoever. Yeah. But like, it, it's that weird thing in, in movies like this where they cause significant damage to police property, and then the police are just like, well, they got away. <laughs> it's like... No, there would be a citywide manhunt for a stolen fire engine. Yes. It's not it's not surreptitious. He's not he's he he is once again the worst spy. He has one of the most conspicuous vehicles I've ever seen. And he's just driving around. Oh god. When he's at the horse stud and he's he's making those um sleazy comments to to Zorin about, Oh, you're a sportsman, I like horses, I'm a sportsman, and how do you do with fishing, huh? Huh? <laughs> like he's obviously fishing for information. <laughs> and his his cover is James Sinjin Smythe. Sinjin Smythe. Yeah. Which I know is a very posh you know, combination of British names, Sinjin Smythe, James Sinjin Smythe. Oh, that was, sorry, that was something else on my list. Sorry to interrupt you, but James has so many weird names in this film. Like he normally doesn't have many covers. Yeah, normally he's Bond, James Bond. Yes. But in this one, he's, he's <laughs> Sinjin Smythe. And James then the Financial Smythe. Times reporter. Yes. He's attempting a bit of spycraft in his final outing. But yeah. I think the police stuff, I think they, they have it there because he has to bring – 
Stacey. I keep, every time I go to say her name, I have to think about it. I, you, I, I, I was about to say, I don't, I'm not sure who you're talking about right there. <laughs> he the, the girl with the house and the cat. He has to no, do... No, it's not ringing bells. <laughs> oh, okay. He has to do a fireman's lift and bring her down a set of stairs in front of, you know, the fire crews and the police and the crowds are all clapping him and stuff. So they, they have to have him, I guess, be intimidated by the police and put under arrest or whatever. But they could have had them escape off the back and just escaped quietly and then gone out to the mine. Like, yeah, yeah they didn't need exactly. to have that. There was no need yeah. to have all that cop stuff in there. Like, like he's basically an off-brand J.W. Pepper. Yes! Like, I don't oh, understand yeah. why he's I, in this movie. Yes, I had that same thought because he has – they did the whole thing where – for some reason, even though Bond goes over the bridge, they then have to focus on what happens to the cops, like their reaction. Yeah, oh, no. Yeah. Like, why are you focusing on the cops' reaction? Who cares? No, no one cares about these people. <laughs> they see that You see the car at the top of the bridge fall back down and plunge into the other two cars, and then yep. the cops giving them a dressing down going, you will pay for this vehicle $100 a month out of your paycheck, while the bridge is coming down on the other side, crushing his car. Yeah. And it's like... and it's like but i don't care about this character at least with jw pepper you saw him kind of arrest a guy have a big spiel and then get really into chasing yeah i mean i mean look let's not defend jw pepper but having said that like, like as as anachronistic as he was in those films he was still more integrated than this was yes. in this yeah. film. There's no That's need for point. this. Yes, I agree. So bizarre. That, that was the first item on my list. Getting onto my second, I, I just I just had uh, Walken. Walken's here. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's, he's I'm very, very good. Look, I will always enjoy a bit of Christopher Walken, whether he's like in full Walken mode or whether he's phoning it in. He's a very good, very good actor. I enjoy I enjoy watching him. He he will, he will always do something interesting. Yes, which I quite like. Like he's never going to give you the straight line reading. <laughs> Yes. yes. When he's talking to Gogol and he does that big, well, you're not, uh, you know, like he's doing this big, he's doing these big things. I love it. Yes, it's, it's like really you're interfering good. with our plans. He's like, you've ruined mine. You're interfering with my plans. Mine. <laughs> Just, yeah, it's great. As far as Zoran goes, like, like I understood what he was trying to do. And, and as you point out, uh, and I have this further down on my, on my list, but I'll, I'll mention it now. Like, I, and, and you pointed it out, Scott, that this is literally Lex Luthor's plan from Superman the movie. <laughs> yeah. uh, he wants to set off the San Andreas Fault to gain land, or in this oh, case, like, that, get rid of land. Oh, is that actually what Lex Luthor, the San Andreas Fault? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. He, wants, he wants California to fall into the sea because he's bought all the land on the other side of the San Andreas Fault, <laughs> which will then become beachfront property. That is that which yeah, no, that's that's in Superman the movie with with Gene Hackman and uh and uh Christopher Reeve. How do I not remember that? I have seen that film, but it was many many years ago. Oh, it's Um, it's legitimately great. I love that movie a lot. Um, (laughs) but that's a crazy scheme, it sure is. It is, it's a supervillain plot, yeah. this is, this is very much a supervillain plot. He wants to set off an underground earthquake to flood Silicon Valley uh, so that he will control the world's microchips. But I don't... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean also, look, other that's what he will, wants to do. Other people will start making microchips. I know. They're microchips. I know. Natalie, I know. This, is, this is what I'm saying. Like It's just, it, just so... Is it because it's 1985 and nobody really yet understood computers? I guess, but 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 also what what really confused me was that he got everyone onto his evil blimp, which is uh, another item on my list. Love a good evil blimp. <laughs> I'm surprised yeah. that this franchise hasn't made use of an evil blimp before now. No, it, it doesn't really again. 
No, I think this poisoned the well. I, th- I think it's time for the evil blimp to make a comeback. I want to see like some some uh, you know dangerous dirigibles in in the skies. It's very yes. good. Okay, but, no time um, to die. You yep. know, open brackets in a blimp, close brackets. In a blimp. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Everything can be improved with blimp. But uh, <laughs> so, but but his evil plan, right? He gets all these people onto his blimp. And he's saying to them, you know, you will all pay me $150 million or whatever to be part of my new scheme after I flood Silicon Valley. <laughs> and they, they're all looking at him like, 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 fair enough. They're looking at him like this is a terrible idea. But I don't understand his leverage. Like, is it just physical blackmail? Because then he murders, he murders one of them when yeah. he says this is ridiculous. But then once they get off the blimp, they'll be like, Zorin's an insane person. Yeah. Uh, like, someone call the police. Like, I don't understand the leverage that he has. What, what's he What's he bring to bear in that situation? Look, I think Zorin's more of your sort of ideas man, less than the sort of detail <laughs> man. <laughs> and he's got this great idea, but he just haven't, hasn't thought about all of the possibilities yet. Yeah, he hasn't thought it through. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's such a, like, uh, having said that, like, can I just say, like, I cackled with delight when Mayday, like, set off the trick stairs and that guy yeah. fell out the blimp. That's yeah. great. Oh, so yeah. great. Yeah. If the really whole fun. movie had been at that level of camp, I would have been right there with it. Yes. But it just, then later, they show him very callously and for a long time gunning down employees. Yes. Um, yeah. Which yeah. is a weird scene. There's a quote from Roger Moore where he said he um he said I was horrified on the last Bond I did whole slews of sequences where Christopher Walken was machine gunning hundreds of people. Yeah. I said that wasn't Bond. Those weren't Bond films. It stopped being what they were all about. You didn't dwell on the blood and the brain spewing all over the place. Now can I remind that this is still you know he blew up a giant base of army people in in yeah. Octopussy. Like. Yeah. But I suppose that's the one explosion and the body count is not really talked about. It's it's no. I yeah, suppose you don't really see it. It's not something you have to live with. Whereas in this in this yeah. one he's like gunning down individual people yes. for sadistic reasons. Like yeah. he's a sadistic psychotic person. Yes. Um, which is fine, you can work with that. But it's like they let that scene go on for a long time. Yeah. Well it's it's like he thought the water's not good enough. You're all gonna drown anyway. I think I yes. might just put you out of your misery. <laughs> now I have no memory of that scene in the televised versions of that in Australia. They might have cut it out, yeah. I was surprised to see that scene because I did not remember it. And I'd have remembered that as a kid because I loved a good Uzi. (laughs) Um, (laughs) How about this for a clue? It opened in the US and Canada on the four-day memorial weekend, which is what normally May, something about that. It was the biggest opening for a Bond film ever, grossed $13.3 on the first weekend. But that was not enough to beat Rambo First Blood Part Two, oh, which yes. was number one for the weekend with twenty five million. Well, so I won. Five was a hell of a year for movies. What else was on that time? Is is that like a Predator year or a? Nineteen eighty five was certainly. I think Back to the Future, and it was. Mm, I yes. think. I think Ghostbusters, or that might have been later. Eighty four. Ghostbusters eighty four. Right. Okay. Uh, what else was eighty five? It, it was. A, I think an Indiana Jones came out. Ooh. Yeah, that that rings a bell. I remember 85 was a great year for movies. So you, you were there when you were a small child. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was 14. I was 14 in 1985, so I had a good year with films that year. Ah, well, yeah, I was just thinking maybe they put in all the extra blood and guts because Rambo, that was the style of those 80s action movies, was coming in. All right, so let's have a look. Uh, Red Sonja, Enemy Mine, The Goonies, Explorers, Back to the Future, Legend, 
clue? I have a legend-related story for this film. On the 27th of June, 1984, several leftover canisters of petrol used during filming of Ridley Scott's Legend caused Pinewood Studios' 007 stage to burn to the ground. Ah, okay. The stage was rebuilt and reopened in January 1985, renamed as the Albert R. Broccoli's 007 stage for A View to a Kill filming. So thank you, Tom Cruise. Yeah. Isn't he in that? I've never seen that film. but Yeah, yeah, he's the, he's the, the ingenue child in that film. Isn't it like a fantasy or something? Yeah. Well, um, uh, t- Tim Curry plays the devil, basically. Yes. Oh. Yes, he does. Tim Curry. Don't know why I said that. <laughs> <laughs> Just on 1985 in movies. So you've got Rambo First Blood Part 2. You've got yep. uh, Teen Wolf comes out. Yep. But, uh, of course, what we really, really must mark is that 1985 is the year Commando comes out. Oh! Yeah. Now, Steve, so, do, you want to have a, do you want to have a moment just to talk again about your love for Commando? Oh, no, I mean, like, but people, people who are listening will, will be well aware of, of my love for that movie. It is a beautiful film. It is a beautiful, perfectly is, crafted piece of art. Oh. Is, is it? It no, may be the world's sure most is, perfect definitely. film. It's the world's most perfect film. It knows exactly what sort of film that it is, <laughs> and yeah. everything in the film is geared towards... It's all pulling in the same direction. It is. It is a wonderful, wonderful it, thing. It's just Arnie shooting dudes, isn't it? It sure yeah. is. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and everything in the movie supports that premise. Yeah. <laughs> what happened to Sully? I had to let him go. I had to let him go. <laughs> you know how I said they would kill you last? I lied. I, I lied. Oh, it is Arnie being his most Arnie. Yeah. Well, okay. We have to do we have to do the thing where we watch all the action movies that I've never seen and just have me going, "What's oh, going on?" Look. <laughs> I have seen Predator now. I am, now, I am one thousand percent down for that. Eighties yeah. <laughs> action movie podcast. <laughs> Is Raven um, on in the eighties? Raven eighties. Look, it, it might, we might have to go to like Raven on colon eighties. You know That's what I mean? True. Yeah. We'll have to do something like that. Or Raven 80s. Raven 80s? Raven on Tokyo Drift. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Raven on Harder? Yes. Raven on, <laughs> on Leighton Bohensky. Like Hobbs and Short. Doesn't quite work, does it? Leighton Bock. Leighton Bock? Leighton Bo. Oh, we're vastly off topic, but that's yes. okay. It's the Raven Bond podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Stu was doing his list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to, to, to wrench it back into, into place, I talked about Walker. I, I do not understand his plan. Grace Jones <laughs> rules. She's great. Really, really cool. Evil Blimp. Love a great Evil Blimp. And um, goodbye, Lois Maxwell. 14th yeah. and final Bond film. She's been in every one up to this point, I think. Yes, she has. Except yeah, so, for Never Say Never Again, because obviously... The character was, but they, yeah. And the character will continue. I think there's there's a money penny in the next one. Yes, there's a money penny for Dalton, and then it switches, and there's a different money penny for Brosnan, and then of course we have Naomi Harris's money penny in Spectre. But I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> no, sorry, Skyfall. It's Skyfall. The Skyfall where she's introduced. And then she yeah. she comes back in Spectre. Full money, full money penny in Spectre. Um, at the end of the film. And what's your name, by the way? You have literally been working together this entire time. You haven't asked her name. (laughs) She's just nameless MI6 woman. So you can keep it for the tagline when she says, it's Money Penny, actually. And everyone goes, oh, what a reveal. Clever. Oh, what a reveal. It just fundamentally does not work that he's been running around with this chick for weeks. And. (laughs) 
she shaves him. She shaves him at one point. <laughs> yeah. She shaves him right there in Macau, and that's a very yeah. difficult place to do some intimate shaving. <laughs> Got to be careful she shaves in Macau. in Macau, which surprisingly yeah. is not a euphemism. Yeah, I feel like you should at least know someone's name if you're going to let them shave your face in the gambling capital of Asia. I'm just saying. <laughs> Oh, it's you. And also she's black. It just feels really weird to not give a black woman her name and just be referring to her as, oh, hello, you. Hello, nameless black woman. Mm. I don't know. Am I wrong? I'm trying no, I'm, right. I'm trying to, you know, make up for the whole Donga incident earlier. <laughs> <laughs> trying to equal the, the books there on, on my problematic nature. Sure. Uh, yeah, okay. Some performative wokeness. That's right. I'm doing some performative wokeness. I don't mean any of it, and I'll get cancelled for that. So that's fine. <laughs> are we at the end of your list? We are at the end of my list, yeah. Okay. So so I farewell, Lois Maxwell. You're wonderful. Whenever you would show up, I would be I would be very happy. I'm I'm glad I'm glad that she's been with us up till now. I'm sad that she's leaving. Yeah. Which is the best thing you can say about one of a part of one of these movies. Yeah, I wonder why she did go. Oh, look, it was probably time. She Roger was, Moore's leaving. She, I mean, she was, as we've said before, she's the same age as Roger Moore, so she was yeah. 57 in this. Everything was moving on. <laughs> but she's definitely, I mean, the thing is, like, she's been there since the beginning. So it's actually very much like not only Roger Moore leaving, but certainly hmm. Lois Maxwell leaving. It's the end of an era. It is. It's very sweet. Um, yeah. All right, so what else? I would like to bring up the topic of Patrick McNee and Sir Godfrey Tibbet, the horse trainer. Uh, yes. He's lovely. He's a lovely role, and then he gets killed, and I was really sad. <laughs> Does no one in this universe check well, I think, the back seat when they get in the car? I think you were supposed to be really sad, which is good. Yeah. Sorry, Scott? I say, there's nobody in this universe check the back seat when they get in the car. I know! Like, there's two people in this film get attacked by a backseat strangler. Who was the other one? Oh, I didn't put down who the second one was. So, Patrick Mindy, obviously the first one, the backseat strangler in the um, the car wash. Yes. And then I've got, okay, so the order of my notes here are nice robe she's almost wearing, earthquake machine, backseat strangler again, prosaic elevator death trap. <laughs> that sounds like you've been writing beat poetry, Scott. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so, yeah, there's two people that get attacked, I think, by Mayday in the in the backseat of the car. I really like the character of Sir Godfrey Tippett. I didn't understand why he didn't have a covering name. Like, James was James... Yeah. Sinjin Smythe, but he was just Tippett. And it's like, well, if you, he's a famous horse trainer. Like, surely you could Google him. I mean, <laughs> call someone, get a reference. <laughs> Fax, no, no, microfish someone. Telex someone. Yeah, yeah. Send it on the wire service. Uh, <laughs> okay, it wouldn't be instant, but you could at least do some due diligence. But he's, it's it's really lovely the way that he, because he's the sir, he's the posh guy, and all yeah. of a sudden he has to be Bond's servant. And that's quite a fun comic premise it is fun yeah, it's a nice nice change of status yeah it's really fun and then they they work out they're being bugged so they go on the balcony to have a chat and he's like oh good work my good man and he's like oh do we have to pretend to do this when we're alone and he's like well a good cover is you know all the time <laughs> how long was that tape on the micro cassette player with the small talk yes well there's that bit where they are raiding the lab which you access via a horse pen that disappears into the ground mm. and um, they're in there and then Bond realises, oh, the tape stopped five minutes ago. <laughs> it's like you're working fast. You've got a small digital recorder placed next to a bug. Also, who recorded the snoring sounds on the tape? <laughs> <laughs> but more than the snoring sounds, I mean, that they would have had to record like five yes. hours worth of content. <laughs> like, <laughs> 
like they're basically just recording a podcast at that point. Yeah. yeah. Well, they were out. I mean, I suppose if they're out of the room, they're not being bugged. But whenever they were in the room, they were being watched. So it's not like they can just rewind and start it again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're talking about needing a white tuxedo again. That's weird. Yeah. So, yeah, you couldn't loop the tape. No, you can't. Anyway, I wonder if bugs still work. They're probably all rigged up with cameras and stuff too. I'm surprised they didn't have cameras in there. That's starting to feel anachronistic that they don't have surveillance cameras of some kind. Yeah, yeah. Um, cause, and cause, I think I think they eventually do. Because Max Zorin does in his office when he, he realises that it was Bond and he, or, well, Sinjin Smythe, and he says, have him come to my office in the morning. And he has his camera hidden behind a mirror, take photos of Bond, feed mm. it into a computer, which then instantly recognises him. It's like the identikit from For Your Eyes Only. Yes. <laughs> it's like, ah, here's a middle-aged white man with blue eyes. It's James Bond, 007, licensed to kill. Although it is it is really funny the way that he's pretending to talk to Bond about horses, of course, and then he keeps yeah. getting information about Bond and sort of giggling and going, <laughs> Every new bit of information delights him, which is yeah. fantastic. I do like that. It is fun. It, why did they spend so much time with horses? And what was the point of the horse race? I'll give you this horse for free if you stay this steeplechase course. Well, I guess he was he was just trying to kill him in a fun way. But yeah. but he was also sending he, – he, he was like, well, what's the point of all these other chaps? And he's like, oh, you know, makes it fun. But then all the other chaps go crashing neck first over these jumps and the jumps keep getting raised and they don't go, oh, this is a bit shit. I might stop. They all just keep going. <laughs> and yeah. It's, it's henchman syndrome, I guess. Like, Yeah, I don't know. Were they henchmen or goons in this or were they just a bunch of SP bookies that he had on site? <laughs> yeah. Or maybe he just yeah. had a small army of jockeys just ready to go. <laughs> and yeah. a small army of jockeys. It was very strange. It's very strange. <laughs> but that, that that place, the horse stud thing, they spend a lot of time there. Yeah. Like it's a good yep. half hour almost. Sure do. Yeah. It's a quarter of the film. This movie is all about horse racing until it is not anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's really well, strange. It's so oddly put together, this film, and it makes it feel longer. And did, did you both spot uh, the very first appearance on film in a feature role of uh, Dolph Lundgren? Yes, I, yes, I did, yeah. I did not spot that, but I read about it subsequently, and now I'm trying to think where he was. because I... he, he showed the up, and I was like, that's Dolph Lundgren. Yeah, yeah, he's in the background when, he's, when they're talking to Gogol at the, the horse race in the, in the stands. Oh, yes, okay. So was he the one that she picked up and threw away? No, no. no. Apparently they were dating at the time, and so he just oh. came for a set visit, Grace Jones and Dolph Yeah, Lundgren. yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were dating at the time that she made this, and that's probably what happened because he doesn't speak. Uh, he's basically like, just like, the, you look intimidating. <laughs> yeah, he's just in the background with his, like, square haircut um, watching the, the action, basically. Yeah. Hey, apparently they filmed a lot of the stuff with the ski sequence uh, second unit in Iceland. Oh. So there you go, pre-Game of Thrones, using a bit of uh, Iceland. Well, I had a note here as well, re-Sir Godfrey, just to bring it back a little bit for, for in the past, uh, the Avenger meets the Saint. Yes, yeah, 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 They're both former, oh, yeah. former spies and other franchises. Yeah. yeah, and it explains why Patrick McNee does the voiceover work for all of the documentaries on the DVD collection because mm. I never understood why he was there. And I was like, oh, that's right, he was in one. <laughs> yeah. uh, the blimp was a marketing coup for Airship Industries 
Its Skyship 500 series blimp was included in the in the film. At the time, Airship Industries was producing a fleet of blimps, which were recognisable over many capitals of the world, offering tours or advertising sponsorship deals. As all Bond have included the most current technology, this included the lighter-than-air interest. The blimp seen in the climax was then on a promotional tour of Los Angeles after its participation in the opening ceremony of the 1984 Olympic Games. At that time, it had welcome painted across the side of the gas bag, but was replaced by Zorin Industries for the film. In real life, inflating the airship would take up to 24 hours, but during the film, it was shown to take two minutes. (laughs) Well, Zorin's obviously an evil genius. Yes. He's come up with a rapid inflation. And, and I, I will point out as well, Max Zorin gets the probably one of the highest scores from Scrabble on a single single word score. <laughs> you can't use proper nouns in Scrabble, though. If you were to make his name out of Scrabble tiles, oh, okay. he gets 26, less, 26 points. Um, when yeah, things like Octopussy gets 16, uh, yeah. If you, if you have a look, he's got one of the highest Scrabble scores in the in the series. Well, he's got a Z <laughs> and an X in there, so, I mean, he's yeah. real well. yeah. I don't know why I thought that, but I just thought it was funny. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay, here we go. Apparently, Tanya Roberts, who played Stacey Sutton, was nominated. (laughs) It's catchy. (laughs) She was nominated for a Golden Raspberry Award as Worst Actress. Oh, no. Yeah. So let's talk about her, because you you keep mentioning that you don't know who she is. What what was your takeaway there? What was my takeaway? I have no takeaway. I have no memory of that character whatsoever. (laughs) Okay, well, that shut down that attempt. At... <laughs> no, I was sorry to, to, to stop my bit and actually engage with your question. Um, I, I genuinely think that she disappears in the film. She is a irrelevant presence in the film. She, like it, it's she's zero sum. She's there to be the the Bond girl, and she's uniquely uh, useless in universe she has to be rescued all the time I, I think she has a couple of like because she's a, a geological engineer <laughs> i can't say that without laughing um <laughs> she has some plot information she imparts yes, yes uh, and that's, about- that's mostly her function she's there to sleep with bond give a couple of plot points and um be rescued so you know yay feminism i guess <laughs> Well, she doesn't – he doesn't kind of sleep with her initially. He tucks her into bed at first. Yeah, he takes a weirdly paternal uh, yeah. thing, and then he's like, no, I'd quite like to sleep with her. Apparently – well, apparently Roger Moore was horrified to find out that he not only was older than Tanya Roberts, he was older than her mother. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> yep. That's when you know it's time to stop being James Bond. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing an age check on um, Tanya Roberts. I think she was 30. Yeah, but only just. Mm. Roger Moore obviously was 57. Yeah, 29, 30. Yeah. So, yep. There is a whole section of the film you've, that we haven't mentioned. The the underwater deadly peril spinning blades of death earthquake machine section. Like we haven't even yes. mentioned the scuba stuff. Yes. Well, I, I tend to I tend to uh, avoid the scuba stuff in these movies uh, as much as I possibly can. But um, I mean, it was it wasn't terrible. Like like that that particular section, it was very tense at one stage. But but like the scene like the scene with the chase on the the fire truck could have been completely cut out of the film. No one would have noticed. Absolutely. But yeah, then I, he I think... wouldn't have encountered the random. Like I assume the guy who they did find with the limpet mine was a KGB guy from that first scene with. Gogan. Oh yeah. And then all of a sudden there's a chick. And I was like, who's this chick? And it turns out to be this spy he seems to catch up with and have sex with every few years. 
<laughs> yeah, I guess they kept that in to have that bit. Yeah. And and also the, like that that's the bit that establishes that he's pumping seawater into his oh yeah uh, pipes. I'd forgotten yes. about that. As okay, opposed yeah. to pumping oil out. So yeah. So not completely useless then. Not completely useless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, nothing nothing in these films is ever completely useless, apart from the fire truck police sequence. So <laughs> I take that all back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? There's always like one small bit that you go, oh, that's why that was there for this small bit. And then I just realised, no, there was really nothing needed for the comedy cops, Keystone cops in San Francisco. They're, they're yeah. in comic relief, and I guess they felt like they hadn't had enough of that in this movie, so they, they wanted to put that stuff in. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to think of interesting things to say about this film. I feel like this film is, it's not great, but it's, it's also not so bad that you can't just take the piss out of it and enjoy it. For Yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of bland. Like, it's it's got all yeah. of the various elements of Bond films, but it's like... You're being offered a deconstructed salad. It's like, oh, okay, we've got some skiing <laughs> and we've got some scuba and we've got some sex. Yeah. And there's a zeppelin. <laughs> and it, it's all there. It's just not combined in a way that's tasty. Yes, it's like a coleslaw of a film. Mm. <laughs> well, it, it's it's a it's a, a a sign that the franchise was utterly out of ideas by this point. Mm. Um, all it is is rehashed and off-cut parts from previous movies. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, it was a clip show. Yeah, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> a very expensive, very boring clip show. I'm just trying to think about some of the stunts. Was there anything in there that was quite good? Like the ski, as we said at the beginning, the ski stunt was quite some good. Some of the ski stuff was actually legitimately good. I was impressed. Um, yeah. Nothing the, else really stands out to me. The stuntman hanging of the head. off the off the fire truck ladder. Yeah. Sort of sweeping through the streets of San Francisco. Were any stuntmen horribly maimed in this one? Uh, not that I can see. No, there's not as much information on this one in terms of like production and things (laughs) like that. It was shot at Pinewood, a fair bit in America or in San Francisco. Well, I I think it's it's interesting (laughs) then to sort of look at this film as like the capstone of the Roger Moore era of the franchise because this is it. Like where we're done with the Roger Moores. Yes, Uh, it's an ignominious end. It's a very lackluster, damp squib of an end, isn't it? Like, like yeah. after after some genuine highs. Like, people, I will defend The Spy Who Loved Me as a legitimately good movie. Like, it is fantastic. Yeah. I will defend every other Roger Moore performance. Regardless of the quality of the film that he's in, I will go to bat for Roger Moore. I really, really like him as James Bond. I think he is. he's been lumped in as like the silly bond and that he's not that he's the suave bond he's the mm. the bond who is going to charm you instead of like beat you to death yeah uh, and he's and, a lot of people's favorite bond he still is really yeah popular he's really popular and when he when he when he passed away a couple of years ago there was this huge outpouring of mm. just love for Roger Moore specifically but also for his version of James Bond and I think yeah for a long time it was considered you know he was he was kind of the embarrassing period of, of the franchise but honestly I think like going back and reevaluating a lot of these films he's very good this movie he is sleepwalking through this role it's just kind of sad it's like oh why did this have to be the last one you know, like not not that I wanted to see him come back, but I think he maybe if he had just if Octopussy maybe was his last outing, he could have left with you know his head held high and a job well done. But instead, he came back one more one time too many, I think. Yeah. And I'm I'm trying to work out if I like this film 
you know, as we head towards the end of the podcast and, and ranking this film, which as usual I do live as we record because yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of influenced by the conversation, I'll admit, but I'm like, I think I like this film better than Octopussy though. I don't know. Ooh, do I? Really? Maybe I don't. Do I like it better than Never Say Never Again, which I put above Octopussy last week or have I made another catastrophic decision <laughs> and snooped myself? I, I do think it's it's down it's right down at the bottom of the list, but I'm just trying to think: Did I enjoy elements of this more than Octopussy? Because at least you knew in this one that Max Zorin was the villain, and he acted villainously the whole way through. But then Stephen Burkoff did a better job as the kind of megalomaniac, crazy psycho villain in Octopussy. He yeah, just didn't absolutely. But he didn't have the role was kind of underwritten, and he he didn't have a great death. He was just kind of gotten rid of quite early. But I feel like Christopher Walken is more charismatic than Louis Jordan's Kamal Khan or Octopussy. There is another bit of trivia about Maud Adams. She is in a cameo in this film. She's at the wharf as one of the workers at the wharf. Un- really? Uncredited. Yeah, just like in a, in a beanie or something. Well, <laughs> Did she, she not have know, anything to do? Well, <laughs> she, was, she, was a, she would screen test with people. Like she was a friend of the you know, broccoli family. She's just sort of around. So I guess they would just say, hey, you're visiting set. Do you want to throw on a costume and just be in the background? Like, yeah, I've done two of these already. Why yeah. not? Why not? Um, well, I mean, that's how, that's how David Bowie ended up in Yellowbeard. <laughs> he, was, he was on holiday and saw the ship and went, oh, I wonder what that is. And someone said, they're filming a film. He went around to have a look and they said, oh, would you want to be a shark man in Yellowbeard? And he went, sure. I'm showing my ignorance. What is Yellowbeard? It's a Graham Chapman vehicle where he plays a, a, a psychopathic pirate in search of treasure. And it's got like Tommy, uh, Cheech and Chong in it. It's got a, a couple of the other movies. Yeah, a couple one, of the other one of the, uh, one of the weird post Python movies. Yeah. Oh, okay. Is it a comedy? Yeah. Okay. Cheech and Chong. Well, yes, but then you said Graham Chapman playing a, a psycho pirate. And I was like, is he going for his whole, no, I'm not a comedian. I'm, I'm acting now. He's doing his Jim Carrey switcheroo. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. This is most definitely a, a comedy. Okay. All right. Yellow Yellowbeard. <laughs> Well, isn't that how Spike Milligan ended up in uh, the Holy Grail, Life of Brian? I mean, I think so. Because he was travel, like he was on holiday in Tunisia when they were filming, and they went, "Hey, do you want to come and be in it?" So they wrote the yeah the little good part for him, or whatever he does. Uh, um, Yellowbeard was uh, Marty Feldman's final film. Oh, okay. He's the one from Young Frankenstein, isn't he? Yes, yes, yes the big eyes. Eagle. Um, well, Stu, where do you rank this film? Do you think? Oh, see now, now I have I had a real hard time with this, Nat. I still am not. It's a bit in a quantum flux at the moment. I have it placed in my list, but until I say where it is, uh, that might change. I don't know. Now, this is a bad movie. Um, <laughs> it's a real bad movie. Um, by any stretch of the imagination, I think it deserves to be down towards the bottom of any of any list. Uh, it's it's not going to outcompete any of these Bond movies. At the bottom of my list, I have in 13th spot, The Man with the Golden Gun, and in 14th spot, Thunderball, which, as mm. we know, is, uh, uh, what do we have, uh, 12 days long. Um, <laughs> hugely uh, bloated uh, mess of a movie. Um, <laughs> like, is this movie worse than Thunderball? That's my question, because at the moment... I think I like Golden Gun. I, I, I definitely like Golden Gun more than this movie, as bad as Golden Gun was. Mm. Yes. 
you know, you've got Christopher Lee Scaramanga, like you, you've got Nick Knack, yeah. who is, you know, it's a, it's, it's fun. And, and like Roger Moore is still engaged in, in yeah. the role. Like, like it, there, there's stuff in there that I can, I can really sink my teeth into, you know, it, it has the, the brilliant scene, come, come Mr. Bond, you know, like all of that stuff is very, very good. Even though that film is a mess and deserves <laughs> to be down the bottom of the list. Is A View to a Kill worse than The Man with the Golden Gun? Probably. Is it worse than Thunderball for me? Hmm. Drum roll. Drum, Drum roll. roll. Drum roll, yeah. No. No, I think, I think I'm going to put it just above Thunderball. So Thunderball is still in wow. my last spot. Wow. <laughs> I feel like at this point this is just spite. <laughs> is better than this film <laughs> it's more cohesive than film it just has a lot of underwater stuff <laughs> natalie it has like, a lot <laughs> yes but this film has crazy keystone cops police and yeah. it has grace jones being great and christopher walken being pretty good himself you know like it's it's got some good stuff in there and I I just I can't do it. I can't I can't put it lower than Thunderball. Oh, yeah. So excruciating to sit through. I I both of these movies actually elicited that feeling of like I was annoyed at having to watch them. Yes. <laughs> uh, like like I I they, they were so badly put together and boring for long stretches that I, I just I resented having to watch them and all of the other films above them I definitely don't say that there were parts that I really really liked I, I think basically I'm putting Thunderball last now basically as commitment to the bit at this point yeah. uh, but honestly like, like I think that there are things there are definitely things in Beauty Kill that I like way more than stuff in Thunderball. And also Thunderball has like Sean Connery at his sleaziest as well, which is really, yeah. it's it's actually, a lot of people have a real soft spot for Thunderball and it, it is a mess of a film. So I, I will, I will, no, I'll stand by it. It's not even, it's not even a bit. I'll stand by it. I'll put a view to a kill above Thunderball. So Thunderball's still last spot. <laughs> a view to a kill by a whisker just above it. Okay. Now, did I put Never Say Never Again last or did I put that above Octopussy? I think I put it above Octopussy, didn't I? Yeah, Octopussy is your last place. It has to go below Octopussy, Natalie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, does it, Stu? Well, does I mean, it's your list. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. Um, it could go above Octopussy. I think I like Never Say Never Again better than either of those two because of Barbara Carrera. But then you've got Grace Jones doing a similar thing here. Yeah. And I think I'm going to put it above Octopussy. Wow. As a, okay. as a turn up okay. for the books. Don't have, am I regretting it already? <laughs> Did you not lock it in, Eddie? To be fair, it's going to be a while before we're down this end of the, yes. of the list. Yes. Again, so. I feel like the Daltons and the Brosnans are going to pepper the middle and then I have to really work out how much I hate Spectre. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, is it a bottom of the list film? Because it's probably well made with really good production values and excellent acting, but also fucking Blofeld for fuck's sake what the fuck um cool, cool, i should probably put language warnings on this podcast <laughs> I, never do. Uh, I still am really i think I, I almost need to rock paper scissors this one or put because i don't i don't know that i like 
it better than Octopussy. I certainly don't think I like it better than Never Say Never Again. No, look, just to spite you, Stu, I'm going to put it above Octopussy. (laughs) We're going on spite. That's That's how you should definitely be doing this. Just for Grace Jones. (laughs) Just to, because, you know, she's something. And also Patrick McNee. I really quite liked him. He was very cute. And, um, oh, no, it's rubbish, isn't it? I'm making a terrible mistake. (laughs) (laughs) But is Christopher Walken, is he better than Stephen Burkoff? It's the highest score in Scrabble. Can I tie them at the bottom? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's a cop out isn't it that is a yes. cop out yeah. okay fine I'm going to put it at the bottom just to spite stew <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing anymore okay it's going at the bottom okay to be perfectly honest like I had a very fond memory of this before I watched it again recently I thought it was one of my favourite films in the Bond franchise turns out I just liked it because it wasn't challenging um, <laughs> and I really liked the film clips I think the film clip was was my keystone for this film so Duran Duran gets a, gets a good mention on the fact that they made the film clip and it was great. So it was the bits in the film clip from the film that I remembered the strongest, like the fight on the, the Eiffel Tower and, and all that sort of thing. So, yeah. yeah. I forgot to mention the bit where his car in the chase, he steals a cab in oh. France and then his car gets cut in half and he's driving around on two wheels. How can you not yeah. like that, that, that car, That particular car is not a front-wheel drive either, by the way. <laughs> That just makes it so much better. (laughs) So first it gets turned into a convertible, then it gets turned into a front-wheel drive. Oh, Lordy. It is a bit of a mess. I feel like I've been kind of adrift. Normally with the podcasts I kind of know, well, here's some things I want to talk about. And this one again, as you say, Scott, is kind of like, eh. Yeah, it's a bit porridgey. It's bland. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It it should be at the bottom. All right. And uh, Stu is just out of spite. (laughs) <laughs> which I think, is, I think it is legitimately not as good as Thunderball, but because <laughs> I really thought if anything would go below Thunderball, it would be a view to a kill. Yeah, well, she has, you never know. We could we could hit it. We could hit one soon that might uh, that might do that. Who knows? Yes, we might. I think the thing that I like the most about the James Bond films is the fact that they've spawned a whole bunch of James Bond-like films. Okay, mm. such like, as things like the Richard Graco vehicle. If looks was it looks could kill, I think in America it was called Teen Agent. I just love the way um, it's a Richard Graco vehicle. As I'm like, yeah, it's Richard Graco. <laughs> oh wow, you you've not experienced it, the oeuvre of Richard Graco. Wasn't he in Twenty One Jump Street or something maybe with Johnny Depp? I don't recall that. I, I never really watched uh, Twenty One Jump Street. No, neither did I, but I feel like that's associated. That's just a weird memory in the yeah. of my brain. He, he was that style of, of dude. So he was like, kind of like a teen hunk. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Age has not been kind to him, unfortunately. Oh, uh, Richard, really? if you're listening, sorry, you should probably have um, moisturised. He <laughs> <laughs> um, just did a and, lot of cocaine and sunbakes. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, like films where they, where they put in the gadget trope thing, they put in the henchmen. Like the Austin Powers films obviously are a parody, but, like, there are so many films that, that ape that are. The, the Kingsman series are obviously um, an homage to the Bond films. Well, even The uh, Incredibles, um, yeah. weirdly, is a, is, a, is a Bond homage almost as much as it's a superhero homage. Yeah, it's a Bond film with superheroes in it. Yeah. I've never seen The Incredibles, and I've never seen The Kingsman either, but I understand there's, like, a really inappropriate kind of anal sex joke that it ends on or something. (laughs) It's not really inappropriate because there's consent, so. 
that's all I've been sort of briefed up on. It is like it's a really problematic ending or something. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. You'd think that me, I would want to go see Colin Firth looking sexy in a suit, but uh, apparently not. There is a scene in that first Kingsman film where I was sitting in the theatre watching it and went, oh, Mr. Darcy's come over all queer. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, I guess we say goodbye to Roger Moore. What what do we think his high points and low points were? Um, well, I think I mean we, we've we've talked about them quite a bit uh, on this, but I think definitely yeah, the true. Spy Who Loved Me is um yeah is uh, his high point, his high watermark. Yes, it is a great sure. film, a fantastic film, mm. and I think this is easily the worst. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, so there you go, and everything else is uh, on a on a on a weird and wonderful spectrum in between. Yeah. But he is a, he's a wonderful Bond. He brings a unique energy to the role because a lot, obviously, everyone after him is sort of reacting to him. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting. It's that suave thing. Like, he does suave so well. And the the boyish thing. Like, he can get away with a lot more stuff. Cheeky smile and the sparkling the, eyes. Yeah, the grin, the little, oh. He's got a few good puns in this one as well a few kind of sexy puns i can't remember any of them because they don't stick <laughs> in my brain <laughs> really should take notes um well i guess we're at the end of the podcast so thank you very much scott for joining us thank you for taking up my invitation to come on scott do you have a twitter or a facebook or an instagram or, or a tiktok or an only fans <laughs> um, i have no i don't have only fans yet i'm working on that um <laughs> Which is frightening. I have a I have a Facebook page for my various cosplay stuff. Uh, that's Mashup Cosplay. That's there's a couple of those around the world. Just find the Australian one. Uh, on Twitter, I'm Baron von Borg, uh, which was a name I came up with for my steampunk character. Yeah, I don't really do the Instagrams or the Tumblers or the. I never did the Tumblers. I've heard it's just a real cesspit. I've never heard any good things about Tumblr, but um, <laughs> but then I've all of social media at various times is a cesspit. Yeah. Um, so, no, I do have one thing to plug. Keep your eye out on commercial television and possibly the internet for the lead, the lead up to Father's Day. I will be in a super cheap auto commercial as um, a dad that has a, a crappy drill that has to be replaced and is trying to blow up a pool toy with a bike pump Fair. and can't, can't wash a car. Oh, That is so awesome. So, super yeah. cheap auto and much, much more. Yes. Uh, if they would like to sponsor the Raven Bond podcast. <laughs> You're I'll, pass I'll pass it on. I would be happy to spruik, you know, spray paint, car radios, windscreen wiper replacement. I mean, there's a lot of cro- there's a lot of the crossover. Come on, there, you, you can talk yeah. cars, you know. You can't tell me that Bond wouldn't pull up at a super cheap auto and get some work done on the Aston Martin. I will say this film had a lot of product placement in it as well. Yeah. They, really they have good. been for some time. Yeah, well. there's like big BP signs and Michelin tyres and, you know, if you're caught in a lake and need to survive, <laughs> make sure your tyres are Michelin. Michelin, you can breathe from them probably? <laughs> no, I, I, no, just the reason I was so de- definite on that before when you spoke about it in the podcast, I've actually done it. You um, what? I've breathed underwater from uh, an inner tube through the um, the inny bit, the valve. Right. Yeah, yeah. Why? Uh, like to escape a, a mad genius or? Sure. Um, no, no, <laughs> it was just to see if I could. We had a pool when I was a kid and we had inner tube tyres and I remember seeing that in the film and I tried it in the film, uh, in the pool, and it worked. And Fantastic. you're still here to tell the story. <laughs> I'm still here to tell the story. And they want people to fence their pools. <laughs> Stop children experimenting with physics. Yeah. 
<laughs> Please fence your pools. Uh, that was not in any way an endorsement of non-fencing. Uh, no. I just realise what I say sometimes and then people might think that I wasn't joking and I'm very much, if in doubt, it's a joke. Yeah. Um, I should. I want to have that on my tombstone. The cat is back. You can hear her <laughs> You're really purring loudly. Anyway, all right. Well, we are done with this film. <laughs> we are done with the Roger Moore era. And we turn now to... Oh, no. Oh, we've got ten more films to go. We you are... say that like a thread. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, some of them could be seen as crimes uh, against the Geneva Convention, but um, but we'll get to die another day. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Love that movie. Love them all, except Spectre. So, Vita, um, we will see you next time for more James Bond as we return with Timothy Dalton and the Living Daylights. And until then, I... <laughs> I am Natalie stroking a cat. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm stirred. And we are shaken. Not stirred. Hooray! Hooray. Finally got to the end of it. (laughs) 